Mech Football Pod. Caleb, 16 years, 115 wins, 77 of them in Mac play. The one and only Frank Solich is retired. He has to step down for health reasons basically a month before the season starts, and that really sucks. You're an Ohio grad. What's on your mind? What's on your mind when it comes to this? I mean, Frank the Tank, Frank the Tank, he, in every way, kind of transformed, like, the expectations of Ohio football. Mm-hmm. And before he was there, I think there, I believe there was a stretch from the early 80s to his time there that was over about 20 years where they were not winning 30% of their games. And as an FBS program, to not win 30% of your games <laughs> over that long of a period of time, you know, you're going through coaches. They the expectations are never high. Like reaching even anything close to 500 is considered success, and you completely change the expectations of the program. When I got to school, they were in the process of fielding one of the best teams the school had ever had, at least in the terms of the current era. Um, Ohio did have some success in like the 60s and 70s, but nothing to the extent of um, big on the major scene. My first year there, they started 7-0 and and beat, you know, one at Penn State. I have a memory of sitting in my uh, common area of my dorm room watching them, you know, beat a prominent Big Ten program. And given what they'd done the year before, they'd had another, they had a good start and faded in the end of the season, which is kind of characteristic of a lot of Ohio teams in recent years. Um, not so much the last few years, but more so um, about six, seven, eight years ago. Um, they started 7-0. and They obviously faltered. But every year I was there, they were going to go at least 500. Mm-hmm. And every year I was there, they were going to be among the best teams in the East. Sure, you had Bowling Green at a tight at a time when I was in school, 2012, 13, 14, 15. And you had some very good teams on the west side that was going to make it difficult for Ohio to ever really find a way to win a championship. Obviously, Solich got to a championship against Western Michigan and really pushed a very good Western Michigan team to the brink. And despite being obviously the worst of the two teams, almost came out with a win. And the and the thing with Ohio football programs, in my time as a fan, I would, I would, I would honestly venture to say that Ohio – was the team that entered the game with less talent on the field the majority of the games that I watched, the majority of the games that I was a um, a student or after a student. And maybe there was a player or two that were special. Nathan Rourke comes to mind. Um, the guys who were on the field, Tyler Tettleton, Bo Blankenship come to mind, um, Terrell Basham, Quentin Poling. But there's a lot of time that this Ohio team spent just – exceeding the expectations that they should have had <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it's because of what Solich has built and the continuity that that program has possessed for the course of the last two decades so Solich ends up being second all-time in the MAC and wins he's a legendary coach all first all-time, like no matter first what all-time in wins yeah or he's 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 first in total wins as a MAC coach but first he's second yeah in MAC and MAC wins in the MAC play yeah right, right, right. Because Herb uh, Dunetti, um, Herb Dunetti yeah. from Central. Yeah, he had ninety. Ninety, yeah. He's 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 a legendary coach. Like you can't really cut it any other way. You can be like, oh, just it happened in Mid American Conference. Like, listen, like nobody's state that long. Wait, 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 wait. 
Do you talk to the Tasmanian devil about Maxion? <laughs> um, he never won like... a Mac title. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Freaking nerd. But I think Sorry. Alex's way of telling Sorry, you to I'm shut just, up. About... Alex is going to sit here and say, shut up about Frank Solich. Like, no, Fine, Alex. No, I asked I'll you shut up about Frank Solich, I... Alex. Told you we're going to talk about Frank Solich from the start. He wants me to shut up about Frank Solich. I don't want you to shut up about Frank Solich. I they want me. Frank. They want to keep me down, man. Ohio. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get into it in a second. I don't know how I feel about Tim Albin being the guy leading the program forward, but it does continue the continuity. It's very late in the process with the season starting. They don't really have time to go get a, get their guy. Right. But it's uh, it's bittersweet. It's. It's very crazy what he's actually done there, Mac title or not. Right, and, yeah, because he's won the East one, two, three, four times, but, you know, never won a Mac ring, made it to 11 bowl games for Ohio. 11. That's a lot. That's a lot. Frank Solit, you know, the Mac is one of the conferences, and you might remember this from when we were at Hustle Belt, Caleb, that we we like to say that we liked parody, right? Like parody is has some sort of importance to our fandom as Mac fans when it comes to you know just watching these teams in action. You know, you just referenced Bowling Green. Bowling Green is definitely parody in itself. Before you and I were relevant in the Mac scene, Bowling Green was actually really good. You know, mm-hmm. like with Omar Jacobs and whatnot uh, back when Urban Meyer was around. You know. Bowling Green does have a history, but recent, recent history over these last two coaching regimes, uh, Mike Jinks, the previous one, the one that's going on right now with Loeffler, ain't that good. You know, Kent State, over this past decade, has seen the height of its program, which is, you know, going into the MAC championship game in 2012, going double overtime against Jordan Lynch, one of the better NIU teams in that program's history. Uh, Ultimately lost that game, but, like, that's what a good Kent State could look like, right? And now it's, you know, it's still, you know, Kent State's good, but we could also see in the same decade after 2012 how bad things could easily get. There's a lot of up and down movement. I mean, Miami, goddamn, like 2010, they win a MAC title, and then a couple, you know, the bottom falls out, they hire a new coach, kind of bring things up, and win another MAC title by the end of the decade. Ohio's been incredibly consistent. And that shit is hard, man. That is hard to do with, like, any one coach. And they did it with the same one for 16 years. And, Frank, I yeah. just watched the uh, the press conference that he did with the uh, the media earlier today, being Wednesday when he retired. I, I never really thought of it like this, as obvious as it was, like the information sitting right in front of our faces the whole time. He only had to move twice over the past 55 years as a <laughs> football coach. That is crazy, man. It is crazy to have that kind of job consistency. And, like, he, like, never really second-guessed himself. He always knew he was a good coach when Nebraska did him dirty and fired him before he, you know, should have been fired at all. He shouldn't have been fired there. Of course not, you know. Over six years there, 58 and 19, he was he's an alum at Nebraska. He was one of the better players there. He was the first Nebraska player on an SI cover, uh, at like as a Nebraska player, not even as an Ohio football coach. 
there's already a history with him across the Midwest and making a big name for himself in the Big South, you know, one of the better football, college football leagues to ever exist, you know, way before you and I were born, right? Sorry, sorry, sure. Frank Solich, if you're listening and you feel old from that. Uh, but you do turn 77 pretty soon. You know, he was an undersized guy, and he had to, like, put weight on his body just to, like, really make it onto the field as, you know, and it sounds small to us now, but, like, even at the time, 162 pounds, you're, you're kind of a little guy. And he took off for huge plays as their fullback in Nebraska, you know, was a celebrity in his own right. Now, fast forward through time, all the way through Ohio, beats Penn State, like you said, uh, beat Pitt, right? Yeah. You know, has some games to hang his hat on. Sure, none of them are in Detroit like they should be. But a ton of success. He brought in players. You, you mentioned the talent level. And you said, you know, most game days, you know, enters the game with less talent than what he sees on the other side of the field. That's to say that, like, most days of the year, he's rostering a team that is not as talented as his counterparts. And he's still nine wins, nine wins, eight wins, ten wins, nine wins, seven and six, eight and five, eight and six, nine and four, nine and four, seven and six. It sucks that a lot of things had to happen. I was a little bit scared for him in 2020, to be honest. Just, like, I'm just going to be blunt about it. I don't really want to, like, bring COVID into the whole thing. But he was a singular person I was actually worried about during 2020. And I'm glad that he made it through that. He didn't I, – I don't think that this is all a COVID-related thing. I mean, he was sitting right next to Ohio's AD during the press conference. So I don't think there's anything there. But right now, all he's categorizing, the reason that he's stepping away is a uh, – a rare cardiovascular situation. I'm not going to ask any more questions than that. You know, just take it for what it is. When he was growing up as a football player, he had to lift more just to get on the field. As he became an older man through his 60s, through his 70s, he started working on, you know, more cardiovascular workouts instead of, like, going heavy with the weights. And that's when he, you know during this transition of his working out, he's kind of, like, noticed, like, things over time, like, you know, it's just not... Something about him is just not working as well as uh, they should. And that's why he kind of had to step away. He knew he couldn't commit to the team like he kind of wants to, and that really sucks. He'll still be in Athens. He'll still be a guy that they talk to. He'll still be important there. Obviously, Tim Albin steps up as the new head coach, the O.C., uh, the longtime DC Jimmy Burrow retired after the 2019 season. I mean, it was always it, it kind of feels like this was always going to happen, like that move of Tim Albin stepping in whenever Solich had to walk away, and maybe that just feels like it because I don't know. It's easy to say now because it's kind of convenient, but it did kind of uh-huh. feel that way at the same time because consistency in the coaching staff around him was just as important as, I don't know, recruiting players that just wanted to be there to stay there, you know? not They don't have to be the brightest minds, the most talented guys. And sure, they're like, he recruited talented and smart people. But making the most of the situation, that's really 
the one theme of his legacy. He made the most out of so many situations. I am very curious. There's been, it's been the topic of discussion for a long time. What is Ohio football capable of without Frank Solich as its coach? And we about to find we, out. Yeah, we're, we're finally about to find out. We're and uh, find whether out. that's whether that's being basically as consistent as before, or I don't know. I don't know what this like the staff like Albin being elevated. I don't know what they could do that would push them past the point they're already at which is why despite the need the probably the desire for consistency and carryover i'm very wary of you know doing the same thing you've been doing but doing it with a coach who has less experience maybe he brings a fresh eye to things maybe he brings something to the table that didn't already exist maybe it puts new energy in the program i don't really know as long as Tim Alban has been there, I really don't know much about his personality. He seems like a nice guy when I interviewed him. Right. Uh, pleasant to be around. Um, but I, I don't really know what to expect. And I don't have like super high expectations. It's more just like, will he, will Ohio football just continue on the same track? Has, has Solich instilled enough in this program for them to carry over in the manner that they've done so over the last two decades essentially at this point yeah it'll be uh yeah not to sound too cliche about it but it'll really be interesting like i do wonder if there's a thing where like i don't know if alvin has anything up his sleeve like oh if i were ever the head coach you know what i would do uh-huh. uh, if he's ever had those kind of thoughts we're about to find out i don't think that you know we're gonna talk about uh my mac picks media day is gonna be next week uh i'm gonna just say my mac picks in a little bit I don't think it changes how I feel about this team immediately right now. No, you me know, neither. Like it's just there's because of the consistency with the coaching staff. Like Ohio's going to be able to, and we can dice it out later. Probably survive this coaching change better than what you know Mac East foe Buffalo is going to go th- or is, has been going through over the past couple of months. So it's definitely you know not easy to, you know, even though that they're going to have, like, the same OC that they've had for over a decade during this entire run with Frank Solich still there, he's going to be the head coach now. All the coaches that were there last week and the week before and last month and the month before, they're also going to be there. Uh, Not a lot of changes there. This isn't going to be a thing where players just hit the transfer portal because Frank Solich is gone. I don't think that's going to be a situation at all. But it it's going to be different nonetheless. It's going to be different nonetheless. And I don't know how uh, we will find that out, though. We'll see. We're going to parse these out, but here are my divisional picks. We're just gonna, I'm just going to say the damn list right now, and then we're going to carve this thing out. Uh, but I'm going to let you pick which division you want me to start with. Uh, to the east. To the east. To the east. All right. My east winner is going to be Kent State. And I don't know, this This might not be like an exact science. You know how these things go. This is sort of like a power rankings, right? A power rankings per division. Kent State, Miami, Ohio, Buffalo, Akron, Bowling Green. In the West, this is where you're going to shoot me in the foot. Uh, speaking of which, Toledo, Ball State, Western, Eastern, Central, NIU. Hmm. You're wild. Crazy though. Uh, 
I, I am a little wild and crazy. I'm feeling a little wild and crazy. Also the, a little bit sick. The East. Allergies, but. Yeah, well, okay, sick boy. The East sick is boy. mostly the same for me. The West is different. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, okay, let's just start with Kent State because you and I both like them. There's a lot of reason to like them. Uh, what's, like, what in your eyes is, like, Kent State's, like, biggest reason for being your number one East team right now? I think that when you look at, like, the best, like, side of football in the conference, like, it's like, oh, is it this team's offense or this team's defense or this team's offense or this team's defense? Mm-hmm. I think Kent State's offense is going to be the best unit in the conference. Mm-hmm. And I think that is going to be what puts them past everybody else in the East. If you had um, the same Buffalo team from last year, like, if you're looking at two similar units – um, I'd say Kent State's narrowed the gap a little bit. Uh, if, it, if, it, if you were talking about this year's Kent State versus last year's Buffalo, I'd say you'd, you'd narrow the gap between those two teams because of the pickups they've had in the transfer portal, um, some guys from Syracuse, uh, some really high-caliber athletes. But with a coaching transition and with guys being in, so many guys being in the transfer portal from Buffalo, I mean, there's no way I'm picking Buffalo to win, frankly. And even though I think Maurice Lindquist is a wonderful hire for what he's, he's better, looking like for. looking like long term. It's it's really hard to say. Like, sure. I don't care if it's fucking Saban, man. Like, it's going to be so hard to install everything and have everyone be on board and like, oh, we're doing this without a preseason. We're all on the same page, right? Nope. Like, that, I'm I'm so scared. Like, I I both think that Buffalo. I know we're talking about Kent State, but Buffalo, like, because you brought it up, like. <laughs> I'm so scared that Buffalo is going to lose to Wagner. <laughs> but I could also see Buffalo, like, you know, sucking eggs for three weeks and then just, like, figuring something out that works and just, like, going all in on it. And then somehow that just runs into, like, five wins in a row. I could. <laughs> that's the weird thing about Buffalo. But uh, to finish up on Kansas State, I'm, I'm 100% with you. And I didn't think about it in those terms, but. That is why I have Kent State one is that, you know, best unit in the Mac East is the Kent State offense. That's why I'm going with Miami for number two, because I think the second best group in the division might be the Miami defense. Yeah, it got torched by Buffalo's offense through the air last year. It was 2020. I'm talking it up to 2020. I'm talking that up to a really (laughs) bad day. Um, I also think that Miami's got enough progress to hang its hat on and did show in 2020 on offense. Uh, Brett Gabbert actually looked good, you know? Like, he didn't look yep. like... Like, he always looked strong and mature as a freshman that led the team to, you know, to Detroit in 2019. Uh, and he did look more developed as a sophomore in the limited time that we saw him. So, kind of excited mm-hmm. for more of that. We didn't get to see Jalen Bester at all last year. Uh, he should be back and ready to play this year. And they also picked up the one transfer from Kansas State, I believe. Um, and so, like, they're going to fit the system of, like, you know, Miami's just going to, like, really rely on its running backs to have good days. But it's going to have a good quarterback to lean on. And Jack Sorensen, yeah. the most underrated guy in the MAC during his entire tenure, I believe. Uh, he's still around. So don't forget that guy exists. So that's good. And they've... And they've... They've done a good job of having other athletes at wide receiver who've uh, who've kind of folded in nicely into the offense and have been productive. So 
Yeah, and and given that the offensive line's just been consistently good for years now for them because they're coached well, and you know now that Patton's there too. Yeah, like they Elder won Patton. they won the title the last time we had a full season, and a lot yeah. of that that core is still around. Sure, they're without a uh, Doug Costin, the amazing DT, but I mean that's still like the same Miami we remember from that year. To a degree. I mean, they've still got really good defensive backs. They've got um, some decent linebackers. So they'll they'll be good defensively. Like, there's no doubt. And uh, it's just a matter of, you know, having the full season. I do think you're right about the aspect of, like, having a shortened season and everything on short notice and whatever. And I think given the chance to play those non-conference games, a full lead-up to the season, Miami's going to be pretty, pretty good footing. So I could easily see them winning the East. But for now, I'm, I'm just choosing to believe that Kent State's offense is what puts them over the top in the East. And then so that would probably be a good time for me to give my other East picks, yeah? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a refresher for me. So, Ohio, Buffalo, Akron, Bowling Green. But yours differs, right? Yeah, slightly. So it's just I've got Kent, Miami, Buffalo, Ohio, Akron, BG. Um, yeah, I so do feel – Yeah, so we just disagree on Ohio, Buffalo, but, you know. Right. And it's, it's mostly because – I didn't really see anything from Ohio that leads me to believe they'll be better than the group that comes back for Buffalo. And I know there's a, it's a transition, um, but there, I, there's really also nothing about Tim Albin that leads me to believe that they're just going to be a better team last year. And there's still part of me that thinks Buffalo is going to be fine. I know they lose a lot, but I still just think they're going to be fine. They're, yeah, <laughs> I don't they, think they're going to They excel. lost a lot to the portal uh, for sure, but like, they do keep around a lot of the talented players on defense, and I think that's going to keep, keep games closer than they maybe should be. And I th- like yeah. that's definitely going to help, especially like and Kevin Marks too. So if you have at least talented players on defense and at least the talented player at running back, uh, assuming that you know other guys like uh, like Ron Cook might probably step up. So yeah, like, well that's they're, they're that's, too, that's the point I want to make is. Like that has to Either be Ron Cook or somebody else is going to surprise us and be like a really good complimentary back this year. Yeah, because there's no way it wouldn't, even, it wouldn't be that much surprise. Even if like long term they want to be like a dynamic like spread offense with a, a lot of like, uh, you know, lots of fun like passing concepts that Buffalo might invent or something like that. Uh, there's no way they're going to get that shit off the ground in a couple months. And who's to say that Kyle Van Treese is the quarterback that Mo Linquist and company really trust all that much, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's still like a lot of players like, like Taylor Riggins. He's back. James Patterson. He's back. You know, James Patterson should be really good this year. I honestly think that I think Patterson's like a dark horse for um, mm-hmm. like defensive player of the year in the conference. Yeah. Some of his numbers like weren't as impressive in 2020. Uh, like mostly mm-hmm. like I'm just staring at like the tackles for loss category because he had like nine and a half as a freshman, but only one last year. I mean, I don't know what to attribute all that to, but he's still an effective player and he's still going to be playing his balls out. So he's, it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be really fun to watch Buffalo play. I believe that if I remember correctly, the, uh, the coaches were really high on what Patterson's been able to do this off season. So I kind of, I'm kind of taking that mm-hmm. out. Let me know. I honestly, I do. I think he's he's always had the potential to be one of the better defensive players in the conference. So I think that we could see that this year. Um, we also know that Kadofi Wright and Riggins are have the chance to be among the conference's better defensive players. So 
for those reasons, that's also part of the reason why I have them in front of Ohio. I think defensively, they're just they have the chance to still be really, really, really strong. Yeah. Uh, quick word on Ohio: I, they just need to have a couple guys step up on a couple sides of the ball in a couple different spots. That's really it. They have some pieces in play, like they have a quarterback that maybe you can you know buy into if you really like Nathan's little brother. Demontre Togel obviously is good in two phases of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, but will the receivers? 100% step up. Will the line be able to take on the defensive lines in the MAC East? I don't know. Like, it couldn't really learn a lot last year. Um, and the defense is just a little young. But, you know. But the one guy I want to ask you about. Young uh, Are you rooting for Cato Nelson to kind of turn things around? Like, he, you know, he hasn't had the career that he hinted at potentially having in 2017 when he stepped up and beat Ohio, speaking of. But, you know, Cato Nelson, you know, he didn't play. I don't know why he didn't play last year in Tom Arth's uh, second year. He was injured, I think. And he got, right? I, I, I 100% <laughs> right. don't know. I 100% don't know. I want to say there was discipline and injury, but I, I don't remember for sure, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'll take your word for it. Um, and they have Tion Dollard back, our favorite. They have Bubba Arzlanian. That's three players. Uh, but that's still three more players than what Bowling Green has. I'm joking. Carl Brooks is good. But for the most part, that's pretty much it. And plus, Akron beat Bowling Green very decidedly last year. That is the deciding difference in all of this. But are you rooting for Cato Nelson, though? I mean, I will say that they he makes the prospect of the Akron offense fun, more fun, mm-hmm. if he's in the game. Um there really isn't much fun. I mean, I mean, Zach Gibson got thrown in a crap spot, and oh god, yeah, there was not much. Yeah, and there was not there wasn't a whole lot to work with there. There's they're still building up, and they yeah. definitely had potential. We saw what they did, could do with a pat with a run game too before. Um, but yeah, I, it, having Cato Nelson on the field gives them potential they don't have with Gibson, and so I would I would like to see him back and and you know Colin Colin the offense there for those guys, but just, just because it, it opens up what they're capable of doing and it makes things more exciting. So in that sense, yes. I want to, I want to root for him because, um, he gets a lot of credit from me for sticking this shit out. Like, yes, he's he's still at Akron. He already has a degree. And at any point he could have transferred out, especially this past year, even last year. Like if you would have, like, if you could knock me in the head and like, make me pretend to go back in time to like 2018 or 2019 and say like, Hey, uh, Hey, wakey, wakey, Cato Nelson transferred to ULM. Uh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Cause he just followed Terry Bowden, the coach that recruited him and stuff. Uh, yeah, and, I think, uh, I were, think yeah. to add to, to the Akron thing is that I, I, I had, to, I had to read a little bit cause I was generally curious and our, our dude, George Thomas over there at the beacon journal in Akron, uh, did take some time to interview him a few months back and, Cato is like he's he had basically said like this is where I want to be like I feel like I have unfinished business the season I was last the quarterback we went oh and twelve and that's like it doesn't it doesn't sit well with him so I I like that attitude that's good yeah and like he's not an in-state kid he's like a Florida guy you know what I mean yeah and so like I think that adds to like my mind of like reasons like why someone he has the profile of someone that could have left like that, you know, because uh, this isn't even home for me. This is cold as hell, and I don't even like what's going on. But, yeah, he's definitely sticking it out. He, like you said, he has he has a lot of unproven, unfinished business. That's what the, that's what they say, right? Unfinished business. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I'm rooting for you, man. I'm rooting for you. I really am. All right. Uh, Toledo, Ball State, Western, Eastern, Central, NIU. I know you're rolling your eyes at my Toledo pick, but yep, I feel like you're. Ha- I feel like you're. Uh, I think you're focusing too much on like the negatives that we did see out of Toledo, and not enough. You're not paying enough do. attention to. I always do that. Like all like the po- like the positives that this team already has. Like this is an open book test for me. They have nine, they are leading the country in returning production. Sure, everyone else around the country is doing well, but no one else is at ninety seven percent returning production. And some of the aspects that we probably dogged on Toledo for not doing a good enough job of post twenty seventeen, you know, some of those corrections were made in twenty twenty. Like defensively, they got better uh, on a per play and a per pass basis. Their quarterbacks were actually good. You know, the receivers stepped up. There's a lot, and, and they changed. And schematically, they changed things up to be more, uh, uh, to be more gap friendly with their with their run schemes. So instead of just doing like zone reads all the time, and <laughs> they actually have like a better simplified direction. And I feel like it, it's just a incredibly talented ass team, man. It is just. Has been building up over time. Sure, we can easily be like, okay, we've been ta- saying the same thing every July about this same team, over and over and over again. But this year, I have to say it the loudest. You know, they are the most talented team in this league, top to bottom. There's no reason why they shouldn't win this. And I get that, like, you know, in the 60 minutes on Saturdays and on Wednesdays, might have to prove me otherwise. But uh, right now it's July, and I'm not seeing it. Like, this is one of the best teams in the league. And if there's anybody that realistically should put up 30 and 40 points every game at a minimum, it's this. It's it's Toledo for sure. You know, we can keep going in circles about Toledo if you'd like, but I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to trust my instincts and not pick That's them. That's fine. That's fine, because <laughs> I, I did, and I was right once. I mean, more than once, let's I, be real. I was right once. I was right once. Yeah, that's Stanley, what I can hang Stanley on. Tucci voice. I was right once. Um, well, let me let me give you my let me give you my flip here. Here's here's mine. Um, I've got Ball State back in the championship. I think there was a moment where I really wanted to consider Central for some reason. Something about their It'd defense. Be fun. It's a long off season, and that'd be a fun pick. Yeah, and. It's like I think it's like one of those things where if I pick Central, the closer we got to the season, the more I'd be inclined to like change my mind at the last second. Uh, but for now, I've got Ball State in first, uh, just based on when you look at like how much they have back, it's kind of absurd. And teams that win championships aren't supposed to have that much back. Uh, and obviously, they're taking advantage of the extra year. But so I mean, they're doing what they need to do. Good job. Uh, Central in second, Western Michigan in third. I don't think so. I think Western's gonna have a very poor start to the season and then get their crap together which I don't have faith in Toledo to do. So we're probably going to see, this is my very specific pick. I think Toledo is going to start the season better. We're all going to be thinking that Toledo is better. And then Western's going to have a better string of games, like in the middle to late portion of the season. And then one of those teams is going to absolutely drop off, off at the end. 
and I think the schedule is a little bit more favorable to Western in that case, if I'm remembering correctly. But either way, Western and Toledo are both two teams that have dropped off late in the season and you know haven't had their shot in Detroit the last few years. And while they've been two of the most talented teams in the conference. So I'm fairly comfortable saying Western third, Toledo fourth. I've got EMU fifth and then NIU sixth. As much as I, it still will, it will never feel right picking Northern last. They still got to show you something for you to believe that exactly they're going to leap out of the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And, Cause it's just lip service. If you're going to tell me that there's reason to believe in it, like, okay, where's it at? You know, it's, like, I mean, they have a they've couple got good like, players, but they don't have a good team. Dude, like, more than two-thirds of the guys on their rosters are uh, freshmen or retro freshmen. Yeah, and I mean, that's, yeah, it's fine, you know. That, that's a reasonable explanation for why it's going to lose a lot of games. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's going to lose a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's the only chance I can see them winning, like, actually coming out this year is, one, they, have, they do have good running back depth, really good. Um, there's nothing extraordinary to my knowledge about the offensive line in terms of who's coming back. They have a couple solid guys, but not, nothing extraordinary. Um, they'll have young guys filling in holes on the defensive line and offensive line. They still don't bring back a, like a consistently big core group of linemen on each side. Like they've got guys who have experience, but they don't have like three seniors on the offensive line and defensive line. Like a lot of teams would. So yeah, there's, there's really no reason. EMU has a couple of my favorite defensive players in the conference. They've got some wide receivers that are a hell of a lot of fun to watch. They've got a new quarterback who could be better. Um, if NIU were to leap Eastern, I think that we'd have to see some surprises from some younger wide receivers, and Rocky Lombardi would have to be an absolute stud. And I don't think that you can expect that. I think NIU's quarterback play will be better than when it had Bowers, but I, I don't think you can expect them to just make a huge leap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Rocky Lombardi's okay, but I, I, I have to see it. You know, I have to see him at NIU. You know, that that's got its whole whole set of circumstances. NIU, I feel like when it starts to break through as like kind of turning a corner, it'll come in the form of like the younger defensive players, and they, and to their credit, they have done some of it in twenty twenty. Absolutely, where they just like have some like good defensive plays, like step up. And end drives quicker than they probably should. Uh, maybe maybe it comes create, in like someone's like red zone trip or not. But I don't yeah, know create turnovers enough. too. Yeah, but I don't think that they'll have enough offensive firepower to like supplement the the stolen drives. Yeah, you know, so you can't you can only give it to your running back so many times. If the the one there's another thing that could happen with with NIU, and again, I'm still speaking from like my knowledge of being there a few years ago, not even last year, is that. They have so many young players on the defensive and offensive line. There might be multiple guys make an absolutely ginormous stride in the extra time they've had um, to prepare for this upcoming season mm-hmm. that wasn't there before because, you know, they didn't have that time together. And so you saw a lot of guys make these strides, like certain strides, small strides, um, in a shortened, hell of a weird season. But you haven't seen them have like a full fledged offseason where they're all together under without being under like super crappy circumstances. So they could take a big leap, but um, I think I would trust NIU or the, the uh, what EMU possesses defensively um, and like the consistency of Creighton staff to get stuff done. And, and that's why I, I, I could see like Eastern actually even finishing fourth or third, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think they have the talent this year to be up there. Yeah. I feel like, uh, 
oh man, maybe maybe it's just maybe I'm just getting emotional. I like them both, but like <laughs> Creighton in his own right kind of reminds like Creighton's consistency that he helps bring to Eastern, um, or that comes to light through his job at Eastern, kind of reminds me a lot of you know kind of what like uh, what Solish has done at Ohio too, right? Right. And Creighton's also the type of guy where I could see him staying at Eastern for a long time, you know, because the list of potential schools in my mind that he could, like, lift off to, uh, it's not a long list. It's really not a long list. And it feels like this is kind of the job for him. So, you know, but but that comes with, you know, the other price that, you know, that, that we saw through Solich where it doesn't 100% mean that, like, the talent's going to, breakthrough and take over the conference either like he's been there for a long time just as long as chuck martin's been at miami uh but i see miami having better title odds than than eastern does and a lot of it is because the east is an easier division <laughs> like eastern it would have to beat toledo ball state and western like sure like it's impressive as hell that they can play all these teams and like more likely than not bring things within like a score or two as the final but uh still a loss still a close loss and eastern's not going to have enough close wins to supplement that um but you know like eastern's got some wild card positions like i don't know really what to expect out of quarterback this year because of the transfer uh from cincinnati ben bryant and you know preston Hutchinson. said people like him but he's you know, he wasn't the most efficient passing quarterback either. Uh, I don't know. Like, there's just there's just a lot of things about Eastern that it just can't get over. It can't get itself past uh, to really, like, stamp itself as, like, one of the teams in the top half of the division, even with the consistency that, that Creighton brings to the table. You know, with Ohio under Solich, we could usually, like, peg them to be, like, maybe the second or third best team in the East if they don't have, like, obvious great talents like Nathan Rourke, you know, to run their offense. Uh, but, yeah, Eastern, I, I see them as my four team uh, because, uh, I don't know, I just want them to be above Central. I just want them to be above Central. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen, though, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't really hit on Ball State, Western, or Central. Uh, I guess we'll just start at the top. Ball State... Obviously, they won the Mac, Mac championship last year. That whole unit is basically coming back minus, like, three players. It's really hard to pick against them. I'm going with, like, there's probably, like, a two- or three-team tiebreaker in the West. That's normally what I do at this time of year. There's usually a two- or three-team tiebreaker in the West in my preseason uh, look-ats, look-aheads, right? But, uh, th- yeah, like, it's so hard to, like, pick against any team that you write down as your two or three in the West because in a lot of ways they're just as good as the number one, whoever that may be. Whether you're someone that's picking Ball State over Toledo and Western, maybe you're picking Western over Toledo and Ball State. I mean, it's it's hard to, like, really parse that shit out, especially with, like, the super senior situation. Everyone's got a lot of returning everything in 2021. Uh, and they're all very talented. They're all good football teams. Like, there's a lot of good reason to believe in a lot of these teams. And this is going to be one of the better Mac West races in a long time. It's always got so much potential. But 
yeah I'm, i mean i'm excited we're what five weeks removed six weeks removed from our actual first game mm-hmm. let's go Shadow Caleb LB, he's the best. He's the best quarterback in the conference. I don't care what you say. I mean, I don't really want to argue with it on that one. He's pretty good. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, "Oh, Dustin Grum's the number one." I don't know, man. He's he is I mean, very produ- he's incredibly productive. He, you are absolutely right about that, and he will blow up some box scores. LB's gonna be more fun this year. I love Caleb Ellaby. I love Crum's gonna score points, and they're gonna do it fast. But like, Ellaby's gonna be more fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, LB does the same thing in a better division. 